0: All right, go ahead and turn to the book of Romans. We're going to see if we can advance this a little bit. Book of Romans on Sunday, we came to Romans chapter 1, verse 2. Um, In verse 1, we have Paul introducing himself by using four identifiers. We interpreted those identifiers based off Romans chapter 1, verse 16, because we believe those identifiers reveal demonstrate the power of the gospel at the end of verse one when he identifies that he was separated but he was separated unto the gospel of God we said that that changed from four identifiers where Paul is identifying himself to where Paul now identifies the subject of the entire book and the subject of the entire book is the gospel all right the gospel Um, From chapter one to chapter eleven, it's the gospel being taught from a doctrinal, theological perspective. From chapter twelve to chapter sixteen, it's the gospel being lived out in a tangible, practical way. All right, but that's that's the uh, the best way that we are breaking the book down. And I I know not everyone, not some outlines don't agree with that, but that's the way we're going. We can change it as we proceed. Uh, So, once we identified uh, the Gospels being the subject, we talked a lot about the Greek word euangelion, we went back to the Septuagint, we established all of that. Then, we came to verse 2. Verse 2 seems like a verse that, again, I read from you how some commentaries handle it, you know, hey, the Gospel's not a new idea, it was promised in the Old Testament, let's move on to verse 3, but of course... We didn't do that, right? Because my thought process went something like this. In fact, we'll read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 2. Again, referencing the gospel at the end of verse 1. Which, speaking of the gospel, he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Therefore, that verse implies, or that verse directly teaches, that the gospel was promised where? Not just beforehand. By the prophets. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, right? That's obviously the scriptures he's referencing. So, um, the first, our first attempt, first thing I wanted everyone to do was try to find five passages in the Old Testament that contained what promises of the gospel, right? And so we we did that. As we started working on that, trying to find those Old Testament passages, we discovered a couple of things. We discovered that there are times when we go to the Old Testament and say, okay, we think that's a promise of the gospel and we re- the reason we think that's a promise of the gospel is because um, it's cited in the New Testament. Sometimes when we saw that, we're like, well, wait a minute. The New Testament uses it one way. The Old Testament seems to be using it a different way. Sometimes it seems that the New Testament writer rip the Old Testament passage out of context, what should we do? Now, we could handle it the way most Christians do. Who cares? Right? Who cares? If if the New Testament author wants to use it that way, I don't care if he rips it out of context. I don't care if he changes the meaning. Like, it doesn't even bother them. Like the, the situation we saw between Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, and Matthew 2. Like, if that doesn't leave, uh, make you go, well, wait a minute, something doesn't make some sense here, then, how can I say this nicely? There's really no point in reading the Bible anymore. Like, if you can't see that that's an issue, and then be bothered by it, and then attempt to fix it, then you're not even, re- you're not even really actually reading. I don't even know what you're doing. You're just, you're, you're opening a book and reading words with no desire to actually figure out what's going on. Because everybody remember the Matthew-Hosea situation? Right? Um, Matthew's using Hosea 11, referring to Jesus coming out of Egypt, but it's actually not him going out of Egypt, it's him going to Egypt, right? But Hosea 11 uses it about coming out of Egypt, but it's referencing Israel. So Matthew uses Hosea 11, speaking of Joseph taking his family to Egypt. Hosea 11 speaks of Israel coming out, and you're like, well, wait a minute, why is he citing Hosea 11 here? Wouldn't Wouldn't it be better to cite Hosea 11 when they come out? Like the whole... Like, how do do we work this? So, now you could argue, well, he had to go there first before he could come out, but still just the use of the verse just seems completely random and out of context because Hosea is clearly referencing them coming out of Egypt 700 years prior. So the whole thing uh, seems odd. So that began to raise this question, well, what do we do with this? How do we handle this? Even though most Christians don't care, and I understand most Christians don't care, um, most Christians, I can say, well, how is the New Testament? I, could, I, I mean, the uh, the Book of Romans is going to use the Old Testament. What did we get an official count? Something like seventy times, I think, around seventy times. Um, and in many of those cases, most Christians don't care what how the Old Testament passage that Paul quotes is used. They just, hey, well, how, whatever Paul tells me it means, that's what it means, and that's. Uh, You know, again, I don't understand why that happens, but because I do care, and because you should care, then what do we need to do? Before we start running into 70 passages from the Old Testament, we need to figure out how do we understand how New Testament writers use Old Testament passages of Scripture? And what did we discover? We discovered that nobody really is sure how they use it because no one can actually agree. On what's going on in fact we said that there are how many different views seven please don't think that that's all there is okay all right that's seven that you know are seven major ones there I mean for every I mean people are always going well wait a minute what what's happening here what's happening here when I say people a small number of people are asking those questions, while the majority of people are like, ah, who? Nah, I don't care. So we do, we're going to care. So we're going to figure this out. So we, uh, how many have we covered so far? Three. What are the what? What is the first view that we looked at? Census Plenor. Someone give me a simple definition of what census Plenor view argues or teaches about how New Testament writers use. Old Testament passages of Scripture, go. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me make sure we get this: the census plenary view. This is what you guys are telling me. Contains an uh, a hidden meaning, right? That nobody knew. Until the New Testament writer cited it. And then his way of citing it reveals the hidden meaning or the, or the hidden meaning. Okay, everybody got the census plenor view? Right. Do you, does anybody need me to kind of repeat that just to make sure we're on the same page? The census plenor view. Census plenor means fuller sense and it refers to an additional, deeper meaning of an Old Testament passage which was A. Intended by God. B, not intended or understood by the human author. C, not understood by the original audience. And D, not known to exist until it was discerned and revealed by the New Testament writer. According to the census plenor view, the Holy Spirit embedded a hidden meaning in the Old Testament passage, even though the original human author and audience was completely unaware of it. And the New Testament citations of the Old Testament often bring out this fuller meaning or hidden meaning. That's the census plenor view. Everybody remember that one? All right. Number two. The Jewish exegetical method summarize the Jewish exegetical method for me go their historical hermeneutical context okay all right so let me make it, let me summarize it really clear what they 're claiming is that the New Testament writer comes along, he cites an Old Testament passage, and the way he used it reveals the hermeneutical understanding and methods of that time. So for us to figure out how it works, we'd have to learn the Jewish exegetical methods that were present in 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 40, 50, 60, 70 A.D. All right? So that would be key. Most Christians don't know the exegetical methods used by the Jews at any period in time. All right? So they think they do, but they don't. All right. C, the the canonical reinterpretation, all right? Tell me what this one means. All right. The New Testament writer is reinterpreting The Old Testament passage. I'll I'll read it this way. According to this view, when the New Testament writers quote the Hebrew scriptures, they are reinterpreting those passages and revealing their true meaning. The New Testament frequently interprets Old Testament prophecies in a way not suggested by the Old Testament context. And the modern reader must accept these reinterpretations as the divine explanation of what the Old Testament means. This idea is the ultimate intention of the Old Testament becomes deeper and clearer as the parameters of the canon were expounded, okay, or expanded, all right? Um, And is there anything else about that one? Does anybody remember anything else about this one? Everybody pretty good with this one? All right, now, in those three views, sometimes a word was used um, to describe them or to describe some problems with them, and we, I mentioned the word a couple of times Sunday, but I didn't do any teaching on it. So now we're going to go back and add a word here. Okay, everybody ready? So everybody remember, remember me mentioning the word perspicuity. Perspicuity of the scriptures, all right? It's spelled P-E-R-S-P-I-C-U-I-T-Y. P-E-R-S-P-I-C-U-I-T-Y. U-I-T-Y. Perspicuity. Right? Does anybody know what the perspicuity of the scriptures is? It's a doctrine. Does anybody know what the doctrine of perspicuity of the scriptures is? And it's not a new doctrine. It's been around, well, pretty much, well, as long as all, I mean, it predates all of us, okay? Perspicuity of the scriptures is an old teaching that every Christian should know. Especially if you are, what? Protestant. Protestant. Very good, yeah. Especially if you're a Protestant, right? You definitely should know the perspicuity of the scriptures. Does anybody know what it is? Wikipedia is your friend, huh? Okay, no. Okay, yes, he has taught on it, yes. And I think there's uh, sermons on our app about this as well. Oh, wait, Oh, How did that happen? Okay. Okay, Okay. That's, that's a pretty good, that's pretty straightforward. Um, I'll just read an, an explanation, that's pretty, pretty much what he said, but I'll just read this. The doctrine of the clarity of scripture, so if you don't care about remembering the word perspicuity, just remember it's the doctrine of the clarity of scripture, often called the perspicuity of scripture, is a, now please note this is very important, a Protestant Christian teaching. A pro- So, again, I find it, I, I do always sometimes find it hilarious when people claim to be Protestant, say they reject Catholicism, but they can't tell me what the perspicuity of the scriptures are. <laughs> okay, as my... Uh, that's uh, that's sometimes, like, how how does that happen? But that's a whole different story. All right. So, of the Scriptures is a Protestant Christian teaching that those things which are necessary to be known, believed, observed for salvation are so clearly propounded or taught and opened in some places of Scripture that not only the learned... But the unlearned and a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So, what would be a good way of saying this? That when it comes to the things requ- that, that, must be belie- that must be known, believed, observed for salvation, are so clearly taught in the Bible. They're so clear that someone that is learned or completely unlearned can understand them by using what? Ordinary means. What do they mean by ordinary means? No, 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 no. Do what? Methods of interpretation. Reading is not interpreting. Reading is not, I, I may say that. Reading is not interpreting. Reading is not, you can read something and not understand it. I sat through four years of high school. Okay? Every time those kids would asked something about what they just read, they would demonstrate they didn't understand it. I mean, just just get 20 people together, hand them out 20 copies of something by Shakespeare and say, well, I read it. That, That doesn't mean anything. Okay? I can read all kinds of things. Bobby could bring me a manual about cars. I could read it. Is that interpreting? No. I'll be like... What? Now, it, now to use ordinary means, what do I have to do? All right. What do I have to first to do? What, what are some of the ordinary means when it comes to interpreting something? Words? Whoa, whoa that's deep, right? Okay. Words have, so I need to know definitions, right? I got to know definitions. There was a good start, right? What else do I need to know? Literary style, right? I've got to know literary style because literary style tells me, no, how to possibly interpret it, right? If I'm reading poetry, it's very different than reading narrative, right? Okay, right? I mean, these are ordinary means, ordinary means, ordinary means. So, so again, reading doesn't tell me anything. Like, I, I read the Bible all the time. So, Great. What does it mean? according to the Protestant world, you can figure it out. Now, it doesn't mean... Now, the pers- Now make sure we understand. The perspicuity of the scriptures doesn't, believe, doesn't say that you can figure out everything, but that's a broad context of what it's saying here because it, according to this, um, those things which are necessary to be known, believed, observed... For salvation, so that's everything that must be known, believed, and observed for salvation. That deals with a lot of things. That deals with the person of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, there's. I mean, we're getting into a lot of a lot of issues. So, but but according to Protestants, Protestants claim it's so it's so clear that you can understand it. Now, the reason I am stressing this, if you remember some of the arguments against some of those views, is that the argument is that in some of those views, they destroy the perspicuity of the Scriptures. Now, now this comes down to, so if you are a major proponent of the perspicuity of Scripture, you cannot hold to a view that destroys Perspicuity of Scripture. I don't know what anybody here believes about. I guarantee, because you're Protestants, you probably think you believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, right? But um, I don't know. You may ask, what do I think? I'm not so sure anymore. Okay, because if it's that clear, then why are people can't get it? Now, the best argument would be they don't use the ordinary means. They don't use the ordinary means. Right, I should have said, we, they go with the things that are that have to be known, the things that have to be observed. Yeah, and, and so when you, you can start making a pretty big list. I mean, anything related to salvation, it has to deal with the person of Christ, the work of Christ. And so now you're dealing with the humanity of Christ, the deity of Christ. You're you're dealing with the death, you're dealing with the burial, dealing with the res- resurrection, you're dealing with the incarnation. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of major issues. Now, again, you could get to every verse and you could say, does this verse apply to the perspicuity of, of Scripture? And then there could be some disagreement for each verse. But the bottom line is, is it's hard to know how that works. So I would, I would just make a, I would just make a, here's what I would say. If you are, this is what I would say. For every, pro, because I've got to say this online, because I'll get, who knows, 9,000 emails tonight. For every Protestant Online, who wants to argue with me? I believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, and I can't believe that you would even question it. Don't argue with me. Just prove how clear the Scriptures are. By whenever we talk about it, you can show me how easy it is for you to understand. Right? Don't argue with me. Right? And why? And if it's so clear, why has there been so much? We have an entire split within Christianity about things related to soteriology. What are we studying on Sunday during Sunday school? They didn't understand and agree on the basic tenets of salvation. So is it clear? Or is it not? Well, Arminius would say it's clear and it's I'm right. And <laughs> and the and the people at the synod were like, it's clear and I'm right. Okay? Everyone claims that their understanding of salvation is Right. the Church of Christ, their belief about salvation is far different than a Baptist. a Baptist understanding of salvation is far different than assemblies of God just when you get down to the issue of are we eternally secure or can we lose our salvation that's about salvation so is that does that is that outside the realm of the perspicuity of scripture some because some want to put like as much as they can outside the realm of perspicuity. They want to put everything, right? Only John 3.16 falls in the realm of perspicuity. Does it, really? Because there's not even agreement on John 3.16. So so, all I'm saying is, I, I just want to stress this again. You as an individual, you as an individual, if you're a Christian, You've got to tell me, you've got to figure out for yourself, what do you believe about the perspicuity of Scripture? But my point is, don't argue with me about it, just do what? You should be able to demonstrate to me that if I give you a Scripture, boom, I'm getting an email from you, you know, going, here, here it is. It's all laid out. I got it. It's not, it's not even hard. You take that approach. I'm not so cool with that, right? Because... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I think. I know Catholic, maybe it's my uh, all my Catholic education because they definitely reject the perspicuity of Scripture. They definitely reject the idea. They think it's crazy. They're like, because, and, but they make fun of us too. Right? The, my, my, as my Catholic professor said, Protestants can't even pronounce perspicuity of Scripture. They clearly can't practice it, yet they want me to actually believe it. They're like, There's 10,000 Protestant denominations, but yet they believe the scriptures are clear. So, I don't know. It it is an interesting uh, concept. All right. So, just make sure you know what it is, right? So, perspicuity of scripture is a teaching that basically all things related to at least everything we need to know, everything we need to observe, right, about salvation is what? So clear that even an unlearned person Someone who has no education, someone who, who's not you know, well-learned, not well-versed, you know, not well-educated, they can figure it out by using ordinary means. Now, right there is almost a contradiction, because if you're using ordinary means, you have to be to at least learned enough to know the ordinary means, right? Okay, so, but, yeah, well, you could, yeah, now we could agree, but, but the fact is it doesn't matter when it was written, Whether if that doctrine applies today, it still applies to unlearned people. Right? So can unlearned, people, can unlearned people do it? I don't know. I mean, uh, sometimes I question the, uh, the learned people's ability to interpret things. It could be. It could be a reference to the church. Yeah, it could, be, it could be a reference set. But either case, you've got to at least be learned enough to know the ordinary means, Yeah, right? You know. And so, like, I, you know, um, I recorded not too long ago on the anniversary of Bruce Springsteen's album, Born in the USA. I mean, that's still one of the most misunderstood songs. You've got, you got politicians using it for a political rally, and you're like, are you that dumb? And I've said, like, if I hear a politician use it, I would never vote for him. Because they're, they're 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 basically borderline mentally illiterate. How can you not interpret that song? That song is not a positive message about America. Okay, that's not. Like, and then you got all these people like I'm going to vote for this president, waving the American flag, singing "Born in the USA," and you're like, okay. Well, note to self: don't vote for anybody. Don't hire anybody there. Just to, because. And if you can't interpret that, that's a pretty clear song. Well, that means they can't use the ordinary means, right? So then can that kind of person pick up the Bible? I I don't know. I'm going to talk myself out of believing the entire doctrine is what I'm going to do if I keep talking. But because I just have, I have a heart. Like when I was a young Christian, I was like, yes, perspicuity of this. I believe it because I can figure this stuff out. And then after all the years of hanging around and talking to Christians, I've now reached the point that I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure what's going on. So I don't know. So, just keep that in mind. And again, I'm stressing it because any, any of these views that we look at, if they contradict the perspicuity of Scripture, you have to do what? Reject it. So, the uh, census planor view, does that, re- does that contradict perspicuity of Scripture? Does the Jewish exegetical method reject perspicuity of Scripture? Does the canonical reinterpretation view? Now, there's some arguments that some of those views reject it. If they reject it, well, it depends on what you it depends on what you believe on the perspicuity. So, I just want to keep that in mind because sometimes when it comes to hermeneutics, people this is what people do: they will embrace a view and embrace another view, and the two views <laughs> contradict one another, and you're like where did you learn hermeneutics? Where? I don't understand. Okay. All right. So does everybody understand that? And you're out, you're going to say, well, you're going to tell me which view contradicts the perspicuous. No, I'm not. You should be able to figure that out. And if you can't figure it out, then shut your Bible and just stop. Okay? Just stop. Because uh, you should be able to figure that out. All right? Okay. Now, here's what we're going to do. We need to go to the full human intent view. That's where we need to go. But we're not! Right? We're not. Because we have, an, we have something we have to work on. All right? Romans chapter 1. Everybody got their Bibles open? All right. Now, if you've listened to the uh, homework I gave everyone, right, everybody should already know this and already be ready. We're up to 320 emails from people outside of Victory Baptist Church. Okay? No emails from anybody inside the Victory Baptist Church. did make a response, though. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, Romans chapter 1. Here we go. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right, verse 17 says, the King James, for therein, right? Seeming to imply, what are they referencing? Right? And what specifically in verse 16? The gospel. Can we agree that that's probably a a correct uh, interpretation? Yes? For therein, therein the gospel, right? I think that's a pretty safe argument. Is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith? So the gospel... Right? Reveals the righteousness of God, and this righteousness is connected to faith. Correct? How does the NIV read uh, in verse 17? Okay, yeah, stop right there. Stop. So it's by faith. The righteousness is by faith is how the NIV translates. And that's what, kind of what the King James seems to be implying. All right, The righteousness of God is revealed and this righteousness is by faith. Seeming to imply that somehow righteousness is obtained by faith is how some people would understand and read this. Okay. Now, what Paul wants to do, if that's his argument, God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel and faith, somehow connects or obtains this righteousness. That's Paul's argument, right? To support that argument, to back up that argument, he goes on to say, it is written. Everybody see that in verse 17? All right? As it is written. Now stop right there. Now he's going to go to the Old Testament. Now here is the, one of the key, first Old Testament citations by Paul. All right? Okay, everybody get this? This is a big one. Now, this is going to establish well, wait a minute. He's going to go to an Old Testament book. He's going to pull something from there to try to make an argument about the gospel. Correct? All right. It is written what? All right. The just shall live by faith, or as the NIV states it. the righteous shall live by faith so the righteous shall live by faith okay now is and now you can get into a big theological argument here especially if we were dealing with roman catholics well wait a minute is that verse saying that we attain righteousness by faith or is it say the righteousness that we that the, that we believe in the gospel and then we obtain righteousness not just by faith but those who have faith will live those who uh believe will live by faith like we can get into a whole discussion here. But he's using Habakkuk, correct? All right. And the part he wants us to take from Habakkuk is what? That the just shall live by faith. All right. Now, what do we need to do? Well, we got to figure out where that comes from. And everybody here should know it comes from? Okay. So let's go to Habakkuk. Find it in this Bible. 1462. Here we go. Habakkuk. All right. And he is quoting directly from which verse? Chapter 2, verse 4. All right. Now let's read chapter 2, verse 4. Now please note does he quote the whole verse? Does not. So immediately he's doing what? Ripping a phrase out of its context. I mean, you can't, you can't say that he's not, right? I mean, he doesn't even quote the whole verse. He just grabs a phrase, takes it out of its context, and then makes it an argument that that supports his idea. That, hey, in the gospel... Faith, or righteousness is revealed and somehow faith is involved in getting or obtaining this righteousness seems to be the way most uh, Protestants would interpret it, right? So all of a sudden he takes from Habakkuk 2, four, and if we go there, what do we read? Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Or his faith, yeah. The just shall live by his faith. Thank you for correcting that. The just shall live by his faith. All right, now, immediately when you read that verse, okay, let's do this. Take a piece of paper. When you're reading this verse, what are some, let's do observation first. Don't interpret. What are some clear observations that we should come to when we read this verse? Okay, well, the first observation, he doesn't quote the whole thing. Takes it out of context, okay? Just. By faith, yeah, not his faith, correct? Right. So, so it's not even a direct citation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there wouldn't have been verses. Yeah, there wouldn't have been verses. Right, right. Yeah, he took part of the statement. Right. Okay. So, right. That's a good point. All right. Now, what's another observation? What's another observation from Habakkuk two four? Now, remember. This, this obviously deals with the gospel, so this should fit within the perspicuity of Scripture, right? So by using ordinary means, I should, y'all don't even need me, right? You don't need me. So y'all tell me. Come on, give me some observations. No, we go we, we wait before we get to that. All right, well, what do we see? What's going on in Habakkuk 2.4? It starts with a C. No. You're getting there. I mean, there's kind of a conversation going on, but something else. C O N A T. Okay. Is a contrast occurring? Yeah. Why? How do we know there's a contrast occurring? There we go. <laughs> yeah. Ordinary means, people, ordinary means. That but means he's taking the first part of that and contrasting it with, the, there's a contrast occurring, right? Ordinary means, ordinary means, right? Or, see, yeah, don't, see perspicuity scripture. I mean, it's simple. Even the unlearned can do it, right? Okay, even the unlearned can do it. All right, so wait, if he's contrasting, what is he contrasting? What's the contrast? To contrast, you have to contrast what? different things what's the first thing right he's describing a, a person right whose soul is what it's lifted up, is lifted up it's not. is not upright so what's up what if just using king james language what does that possibly could be referring to a lifted up soul okay right Right, so, no, pride. I bet you the NIV even probably states it that way. How does uh, the see, NIV... But, that's the but we're referring to. Right. Yeah, that's... What we... right. All right, so, clearly, there's a contrast that the first, per, the first person, their soul is lifted up. There's some kind of pride, right? And what's the result of this pride? Or how's the end of King James says? The King James uses what? What is not upright in him? His soul is not upright in him. Se- seeming to put, because he's lifted up with pride, he's not what? Righteous. But the just or the righteous shall live by his faith. So the contrast is, here's someone who's lifted up arrogant, prideful, and therefore they aren't righteous versus someone who is righteous and, the re- and because they're righteous, they live by his faith. Now, that's, that's far different than the way some people will use this in the book of Romans because the book of Romans will say, see, how do we get righteous? How do we get righteousness? By faith. Habakkuk is not saying that's how you get righteousness. He seems to be describing the action of the righteous person Versus the person who doesn't—that's a completely different idea. That's a completely different idea, right? Now, the reason I had to point that—I have to point this out—is because I had to do this in uh, Catholic universities because they said, like you know, basically their argument was Protestants don't know how to read, and I was like, well, you're right, <laughs> but. Persecurity of Scripture. We don't know how, We don't have to know how to read because we can just. It's all clear, right? Okay. All right. So, but everybody see how Habakkuk's going on? Now what else? Now what, What's another observation we should make? We get the first observation that clearly uh, in Romans, it's not a direct citation. He's uh, he's alluding to it, right? Agreed. All right. Number two, we have a contrast. Number three, it's a contrast between two people. One is arrogant, and as a result, he's lifted up, he's got pride, he's not righteous. The other person, who is righteous, lives by his faith. Everybody see that? Very simple, very straightforward. So far, so good? All right, now what's another observation we need to make? You tell me. Habakkuk 2.4. If if I'm reading Habakkuk 2.4, there's an observation I need to make, right? The observation is, what is going on? There's just a random co- contrast occurring, right? What is going on? All right. So, or, using ordinary means, what's the book of Habakkuk about? Well, using an ordinary mean that will make it really easy on you is picking up those dictionaries we spent lots of money on. Okay. All right. Well, get, get the dictionaries. Come on. Find the entry for Habakkuk. There's one right there. They're all over the place. All right? Someone finds the entry first. Yell out the page number. Five what? Twenty nine. Five twenty eight. Actually, Habakkuk. There it is. All right. Now we have Habakkuk. Right? The prophet, a courageous Old Testament prophet, an author of the book of Habakkuk. Right. Uh, and then, underneath that, we have Habakkuk A or Habakkuk book of all right, everybody got it. So what do we need to understand because he 's borrowing from Habakkuk, right there 's just this random contrast going on, correct? but we, we don 't even know who the people are he's contra- is he's contrasting specifically. Is it a general uh, contrast we don 't even know what 's going on. So we have to ensure that we have a basic grasp of the book itself, right? So what's going on? Well, Habakkuk is a short prophetic book. Uh Uh-oh, that's important. It's prophetic, right? Okay, it's prophetic. It's a prophetic book, but if it's a prophetic book, is Paul using it showing that what's going on there was prophesied and now it's being fulfilled in what Paul's about to explain? Is that how he's using it? What's he prophesying? I mean, these are just basic general questions, right? A short prophetic book of the Old Testament that deals with the age-old problems of evil and human suffering. right? So what's the book about? Does that bother anybody? Does that bother anybody a little bit? Nobody's bothered by it? No, Paul is using an Old Testament verse from a book that's trying to solve the problem of evil to make a point about the gospel. The book's not soteriological in nature, right? So how how is he using that? Right? Because these are basic, ordinary means when you when you interpret anything, right? I'm not. I, I, again, these are ordinary means. I mean, I'm, I'm going to stress that because people, Protestants always say, well, I can figure out the Bible. Everything I say here, I'm not, I'm not giving you like, well, you had to go to seminary to learn that stuff. No, I learned how to read a book, right? I mean, like, I, the book's about the problem of evil and human suffering. Is the book about how to be right before a, a holy God? Doesn't appear to be, right? So let's see what's going on. We got a structure of the book. Structure of the book. Um... Uh, Habakkuk 's book contains only three short chapters, but they present a striking contrast in the first two Habakkuk protests complaints um, or, or Habakkuk protests, complains, and questions God. but in the final chapter, a beautiful psalm of praise. Habakkuk apparently used the complaining and questioning technique to drive home the powerful message about the approaching judgment of God all right now. That tells us that chapter 2 according to this where our verse is comes in in a chapter where he's doing what? Huh, that's kind of a weird place to pull a verse from, huh? Right? Kind of a weird place, all right? Habakkuk begins a book, begins his book with a cry of woe. Injustice is rampant. The righteous are surrounded by the wicked. The law is powerless and God doesn't seem to care about the plight of his people. Habakkuk wonders why God is allowing these things to happen. God, reply, brings little comfort to the prophet. He explains that the armies of Babylon are moving through the ancient world on a campaign of death and destruction. At that time, when Habakkuk received the vision, the Babylonians had already defeated the Assyrians and Egypt. The implication is that Habakkuk's nation, Judah, would be next to fall. All right, so this is, he's upset and he's getting more bad news. All right, so you can understand why he may have some complaints here, right? All right, the prophet was shocked at the news. He reminded God of his justice and holiness. How could how could he use the wicked Babylonians to destroy his chosen people? Surely he realized the sins of his people were at, were as nothing when compared to the pagan Babylonians. Why do you hold your tongue when the wicked devours one more righteous than he? he asked. Like he's he's got a mortal venial list and the the Babylonians are on the mortal list and his people are on the venial list and he doesn't understand why God would be allowing the Babylonians to destroy people. The direct question indicates Habakkuk's, the direct question indicates Habakkuk's great faith. Only a person very close to God would dare question the purposes of the Almighty so boldly. God assures Habakkuk, and I, I wish everybody would write that down. When I question things, people sometimes think that that means I have a lack of faith. I don't believe questions prove a lack of faith. I believe questions prove that you have a faith strong enough to withstand questions, right? Well, that's pretty good, huh? Maybe we should preach a sermon on that. All right, okay. I should be a, I should have a quote of Hamlet quotes. Okay, right, All right. Because that's an important quote. All right. Uh, God assures Habakkuk that the Babylonians will prevail not because they're righteous, but because they are temporary instruments of judgment in his hands. Then he pronounces... Five burdens of woe against the Babylonians. God will not be mocked. The end of the Babylonians is certain as the judgment they will bring on Judah. All right. So that doesn't give us, that, that tells us what's going on. Doesn't give us a lot of help with Habakkuk 2 verse 4, right? Agreed? So what do we have to do? According to them, they explain it, yeah, it doesn 't really help me understand the verse, but yeah, okay, so what what would be the next step? Ordinary means people ordinary means we know what the book is about, and it right there already it should lead to some concern, right? Well, this book is about babylonian Babylonians destroying everyone, Habakkuk is confused by the entire thing he 's struggling he 's complaining he 's uh, upset and uh Paul takes takes a verse from this entire situation to somehow apply it to the gospel, when clearly Habakkuk was not talking about what? The gospel. So immediately, based off the views that we have so far, the Jewish exegetical doesn't seem to answer the use of Habakkuk 2.4, right? Because I can't think of any ancient hermeneutical method that's going to turn Habakkuk into a a, a discussion about the gospel. So then what are my other options? I got the census planor, which say the gospel was the hidden message in it and Habakkuk didn't know and nobody read it and Paul explained it to us. And the other view would be the canonical reinterpreting view that Paul is reinterpreting Habakkuk. And we have to read Habakkuk that way, right. All right, so, I mean, you, those, you've got to figure out which one they are. But before we make that determination, we got to do this. We still got to figure out Habakkuk two four right? Because I'm still confused. I got a contrast going on. Who's he contrasting? Who's he contrasting? Right, right but why? What's, what's he going on? So what would be the first step to figure this out? Okay, so we should start where? Yeah, let's start with chapter 2. Okay, let's see if that works. All right, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody there? All right, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. All right, because Habakkuk's been questioning God, right? And he's been questioning God about, wait, what's going on? What are you doing? Wait, you're going to bring who to destroy who? Wait, you're going to bring the Babylonians? What, what, wait, what? what? So now he's waiting for a response. All right, everybody got that? Okay, he's waiting for a response. And what, uh, and what? And what? And will watch to see what he shall say to me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, "All right. The, now here, God is speaking. Now we're getting some real context, right? Now God is beginning to talk. Or what is going on? Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it." it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. All right. you got to wait for something, something is coming. And then all of a sudden, behold! Behold! His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him contrasting whoever that he's referring to. Could he be referring to the Babylonians? Possibly, right? His his soul is lifted up. There's arrogance. There is pride. There is arrogance. There is pride. And therefore, he's not what? He's not righteous, right? He's not upright in him because of his pride, his arrogance. But in contrast... The just shall live by his faith. In its context, what is he referring to? Ordinary means, ordinary means. Okay, there you go. That, what, what are they facing? A dilemma that they cannot understand. They can't, there's no way to figure it out, right? I mean, God's going to bring the Babylonians to destroy people and they're evil and they're wicked and they're vile. That's not right. But what's the response of the just or the response of the righteous? To live by his faith. Now, this is not telling you how to become righteous, is it? It is not telling you how to become righteous. It's telling you that if you are righteous, you're going to live by his faith. That is what Habakkuk 2, four says. Now, it's a powerful lesson, correct? Because everyone constantly is confronted as Christian with all kinds of things that doesn't make sense. God's ways don't make any sense. God's actions don't make any sense. What he will allow, what he will stop. But what should your response be? Live by your faith. All right, makes perfect sense. But then Paul comes along Go to Romans chapter 1. All right. We could go read the rest of Habakkuk. We go back to Romans 1. And then how is Paul using it? Everybody there? I know We're out, almost out of time. All right. We'll read verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right. He's, 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 using, he's talking about the gospel. He's not talking about understanding the mysterious providence of God and God's eternal decrees and why God would use pagans to destroy Christians. He's not talking about anything even related to that. Correct? He goes to verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. All right. Where is the righteousness of God revealed from? In the gospel. And then he says it's from faith to faith. Again, the NIV reads Romans 1, uh, 17 in what way? For in the gospel a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That does... A righteousness that is by faith, seeming to imply that the righteousness that is revealed is obtained by faith. That's how Protestants read it. Well, wait a minute. How, where is that found in Habakkuk? That's not. It's nowhere to be found. In fact, um, do I have a... Where is my... I had a commentary. Maybe I have one here. Yeah, here's a commentary. I'm just going to jump really quick into a random commentary. I have not looked previously. And see what, how, if they even bothered to try to put the two together. Because something's going on with the way Paul is using it, then I'm like, I get, it. this is what they say. Um, "From faith to faith seems to parallel everyone who believes in the previous verse. If so, the idea is from faith to faith, to faith, to faith, as if Paul was singling out the faith of each individual believer. Salvation is by his grace, working through man's faith was always God's plan, as Paul here implies, in quoting from Habakkuk 2:4. Now, please note, this commentary is saying that Habakkuk 2.4 reveals that God's plan has always been that salvation is by grace through faith. Is that what Habakkuk is implying? Right. But hey, it's ordinary means, perspicuity of scripture. You should all be able to figure this out, right? As, and then he quotes, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Abraham, the father of the faithful, believed in it, was reckoned to him as righteousness. Um, okay, well, that has nothing to do with... That has nothing to do with Romans one seventeen. <laughs> what? Yeah, that was God's plan, but but He's going to another verse to prove it. Okay, um, just as every person's genuine faith before and after Abraham had been reckoned to him as righteousness. See Hebrews. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna open the door and throw this across the road. Okay, like what that? That's the most useless commentary I've ever read in my life. He, he just says, "See, Paul. Uh, Paul wants you to understand that salvation's always been by grace alone through faith alone." And see, it's in Habakkuk two four. Okay. Okay. And then oh, and and Abraham. Well, wait, 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 wait. can we go? Does does the commentary even bother to explain Habakkuk? No, of course not. Of course not. Of course, why would a Christian want to do something like that's a radical thought. Okay. <laughs> do what? Uh huh. It was your commentary says. They're anticipating. What? <laughs> when you find it, let me know. Okay, so I, I'll be sure what this commentary says. But that's 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 see that's such Christian commentary and Christian preaching, right? Like we're going to ignore anything the verse actually is about, and we're just going to go with it. So how do we? So what do we? So this is a great example of what Paul is using an Old Testament passage, clearly not the way the Old Testament passage was. What? Used or designed. Now, is it true that the people that Habakkuk is referring to clearly seems to be challenged to do what? To live by their faith. But the implication is they're living by their faith because they are what? Righteous. Habakkuk is not telling them how to obtain righteousness. That's a completely different argument. All right? this All right, now you hear what he said? They're saying that Habakkuk was anticipating the New Testament gospel. That's, no, 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 it wasn't. It was dealing with a problem. Habakkuk had a problem. Hey, God, everything is messed up. And God's like, you know what, you're right. Everything is messed up. And I've got a good solution. The Babylonians. The What? That's, that's the solution? It would be like you, like, Lord, America is so messed up. Well, I've got a solution for you. I'm going to bring in the Chinese army and kill everyone and take them into captivity. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, that's a bad idea. Time out! Time out! They're worse than us. They're atheists. They're godless. We're Americans for crying out loud, right? Okay. And so the answer is well, The unrighteous, they're they're lifted up and they're prideful and therefore they're unrighteous. But the righteous will do what? Live by his faith. So you're going to have to respond to this by faith. Paul comes along and takes the phrase. Now, are we to live by faith? Oh, absolutely. So what is Paul actually saying in 117? Now, we have a couple of options and we'll end. You ready? Here's our options. Number one the way protestants typically interpret romans 117 is wrong that romans 117 is not telling me how to become righteous romans 117 is telling me the righteousness of god is revealed in the gospel and that i'm to live my life by faith now if i go that direction now that's that makes some people uncomfortable because that's not a Protestant could Protestants try to argue, no, this this tells me how I get saved, right? That I get saved by faith, that I obtain righteousness by faith. Now, is it possible that that's not what Romans one seventeen is teaching, but other passages in the New Testament does teach it? So one possibility is our that we've been mis- that that we're we're trying to we're trying to force an interpretation onto Romans that even Paul's quotation of Habakkuk doesn't support. Does that make sense? So maybe we've misunderstood Romans 1.17. What's option number two? Paul is either using the census plenor view, right? That's what's going on, right? He's, he's giving us the hidden meaning of Habakkuk, that, none, that, that no ord And get, if, if, if he's using the census plenor view, what does that do to Habakkuk 2.4? destroys perspicuity of the scriptures. That can you figure out Hebrews 2 4 by using ordinary means? Or a back? It, right. And the answer is no. You can't get that hidden meaning. No, I don't care I don't care how smart you are, you can't figure that out. So is he is he is the census planor view going on? Number two, is he what's another possible option? The conical, uh, con- canonical interpretation is Paul reinterpreting Habakkuk two four, and interpreting it in a different way. Well, that would also possibly begin to question why perspicuity of the scriptures. Okay, and the uh, Jewish uh, one doesn't. I mean, unless you're saying that there's some he's using some Jewish interpretation interpretive principle. Well, no, I. I don't know if even of a Jewish hermeneutical method that would interpret Hebrew. Look, the Jews don't interpret Habakkuk 2.4 that way, right? The, the, in synagogues, when they read Habakkuk 2.4, they tell everyone, hey, you're saved by grace alone through faith. No, they don't see that in Habakkuk 2.4. You know why they don't see it? It's not there! Okay? That's why they don't see it. So how does Paul find it? Well, now again, is it because we're reading it into Romans 1.17, Right? Or is Paul using it that way? I don't know. If he's using it that way, then we've got to figure out what is going on. Does that make sense? Now, that's just one, that's one use of the, that's one use of the Old Testament. 60, around 69 to go. And Romans, alone. Now, and guess, guess we could do it the commentary way. Yeah, see, or as his Bible says, Habakkuk was anticipating the gospel. He was anticipating that his country is about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. That what he is, what he was anticipating. Okay, he wasn't anticipating. Oh, one day we'll be saved by grace alone through faith alone. No, that's not what he was. Into- like, where did they get that? And and this commentary, you know, see, this teaches salvation by grace alone. And then and they just cite, uh, and then immediately they do what? Immediately, they run from Habakkuk and go, Abraham! Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him to righteousness. That has nothing to do with Romans 1.17 and Habakkuk 2.4. If you want to bring up Abraham, let's wait till we get to the part where Romans actually references Abraham. This has nothing to do with that. All right. So, again, why, why, why are we going through all of this? Because I just want to show you. That's one One verse. Now, how are you going to handle all the, do you have an answer for this one? Somebody got, has anybody got an answer they feel comfortable with? Well, it says it is written. Yeah, it says it is written. So he's definitely quoting the scripture, right? What what makes sense? You know, normal. Our normal hermeneutical method won't work Why not? because Paul is not is violating our hermeneutical method. Well, we now we we are using our hermeneutical me- method when we go back to Habakkuk two yeah. four. Okay, yeah. Now that I agree, but we still got to figure out what Paul's doing. Yeah. Well, but you go back. Right. Oh, completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. We will do that for every Old Testament reference. We will go back and, look and use our ordinary means, right, and see what it says. I completely agree. And then we're going to be left at times going, like in this one, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I'm, I'm, what's, what's Paul doing? I don't know what Paul's doing. I have no clue. But, but no Christian is bothered by it. Because most of the emails I got were, well, Paul's just showing that Habakkuk teaches we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. I'm like, okay. All right. Sure glad the Bible's so easy to understand. Because I'm like, it's not what Habakkuk is saying. Right? Agreed? Can we all agree that Habakkuk is not saying that? We can all agree on that. He is saying that, hey, if the righteous will live by his faith, you're alright. The righteous. He's describing the act of the righteous. He's not describing how they became righteous. Agreed? And Romans 1.17, the NIV definitely translates it to scream that somehow we obtain this righteousness by faith. Alright. That's that's the uh, that's a, a different. Now we'll have to stop right there. I don't want to stop there, but we have to. And because man, I don't. I, I am. I'm shutting down my email tonight. I'm just shutting it down. I'm, I'm going and hiding. I'm gonna forward it to Sarah or Twila. Okay. There's all. Uh, you you don't even know how many emails I'm gonna get because because we've questioned the persecuted We basically we've gone full Catholic on everybody. Okay. And we didn't. I wasn't trying to go full Catholic, but I'm definitely challenging the Protestant way of just claiming yeah, the Bible's clear. And then we get to a verse like that and we have commentaries clearly demonstrating. Obviously, it's not so clear because they are literally doing what? Ignoring Habakkuk 2, 4. All right? But now that, again, either Paul, either we're we're misinterpreting Paul, which is possible. Would we agree? Agreed? But we do believe that whatever Paul does with the verse, we're not questioning that that's right. Does everybody understand? Paul can do whatever he did because he does it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're not questioning that. We're questioning our understanding of what he's doing. And then we've got to explain how, how, what, what, what's going on here, what's going on here. Because you, we wouldn't allow anyone else to rip a verse that far out of context, would we? Everyone, okay. If you do allow people to rip them out of context, we need to talk. You should never allow anyone to rip it that far out of context. But we have to allow Paul to do it because Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right. Does that make some sense? Okay. All right. We stop. Lord, God, we come for you this evening. Thank you so very much for being able to, for us being able to come to a church where we can ask these tough questions. Um, I pray that as people continue to read Romans, every time they see an Old Testament citation, they stop immediately. And go figure out the Old Testament context, the Old Testament usage, and then we will do our best to as we work through these methods of how, how to understand it, we will do our best to find the ones that are most appropriate and see if we can make sense out of this to the best of our ability. When we get to Romans 117, I pray that we will now have the foundation to really take 117 apart and see if our understanding has been right or if our understanding has been wrong. Whether it's controversial or not, that's what we should all desire here is truth more than simply being told what we've always been told. And we ask this in Jesus name and God's people said. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor.